Hi everyone. Welcome to the Let's Talk Recovery and Family Podcast. My name is Jack. Hope everyone's having a good day today. I was ready to do this one. This one's kind of this session about my passion, the passion for what it is that I do. I've always enjoyed helping others. So becoming a substance abuse counselor actually became pretty easy to me, I think. Uh, never felt out of place. It was just kind of a a, a thing uh, for me. But I do remember that when starting it and thinking about it and talking about it, one of the questions asked was, why? Why do you want to do this? Addictions counseling. Well, I do it. I do it first for the addict. But just importantly, I do it for the family. The family of the addicted person. Families are just as important as the addicted person. Families tend to be, in most cases, the first source of support. Keeping that in mind, too often, more often than it should ever happen, families are left in the dark, misinformed, or simply are left out of or refuse to participate in any recovery treatment. That makes things a whole lot harder than they need to be. If families could get plugged in, if families could become a part of the solution, things would go a lot smoother. Sure, you're going to have relapsing. Relapsing can be part of the process. It's not a requirement, but it can be part of the process. And unfortunately, it happens. So you just keep trying. Keep in mind that the family of the addict does not have to be blood relatives. Any safe, sober person or group can fill in. The addict just needs some source of safe support. That's probably one of the most pivotal aspects of getting clean and sober and beginning the healing process, not only for the addicted person, but their family too. And anything I've ever done, my family has always been supportive. Even when they're calling me out on something crazy I might have done. I've come from Texas. I'm a Texas boy. I lived in northern Texas all of my life, except for six years I lived in Oregon. I was doing medication-assisted treatment in Oregon for six years. Absolutely loved it. Absolutely beautiful. Um, But I'm glad to be back home in north Texas. I come from a strong, tight-knit family. Family of faith people. We're all prayers. My whole family strives on the strength of their faith. Now, this is not going to be a faith-based podcast. I don't want anybody to be deterred from that. I know how that goes. Finding a higher power, being a higher power, talking about God, the Bible, that kind of thing. But it would be difficult to not give examples or personal experiences of things that's gone on in my life without at least mentioning it from time to time. 
So I'm hoping that uh, when those pop up, those little nuggets, um, that you'll just bear with me. And like they say in the rooms of AA and NA, take what you need and leave the rest. But it's something that's a part of my life that has helped save my life. Some personal experiences, not only in the world, I guess, if you would call it, of addiction. But I was in the bar business for a long time. Off and on, started off as a bouncer. You know, wasn't long before I was managing and bartending and bar backing, right? Uh, just kind of one of those things that come with that lifestyle. And it is a lifestyle, right? But I didn't stay in the bar business 100%. I did eventually grow up and try to do some other things. I began to work um, at a mental health hospital. Worked at two different hospitals here locally. And that opened my eyes. I really enjoyed doing that, helping people with mental health issues and addiction issues. At the time, I didn't know that I was going to come full circle, but I'll get to that. Working in those mental health hospitals helped me see that there are a lot of people in dire need of help. Same with working on those of, uh, on the addiction floor. I could see the battle, the personal battle, the internal conflict that each and every person had. I, myself, struggled with those things as well. My first marriage, wonderful woman. I was just not ready. Got married right out of high school. Wasn't the smartest thing for me to do, but I still wasn't man enough to put a stop to it. I wasn't man enough to interrupt the process and say, I'm not ready. So I went into this marriage, and it didn't take but two or three years, maybe, uh, where I'm feeling some resentment for being in the position that I'm in. We were married five years. The last two years were a struggle for me. Um, maybe for her, because she would find me intoxicated out in the parking lot of an apartment complex in the back of my truck. Just crazy things like that. My second relationship started off okay. It was it was good. But two, three, four years in, it too began to implode. Both those relationships brought me two great boys, and for that I'm truly grateful. I love them both very much. They're grown and married and got their own kids. My third marriage or third relationship, second marriage. It didn't take but a year and a half, and it was starting to crumble as well. This is when I got into the bar business as an owner. We owned our own little rock bluesy biker kind of a place, and it consumed me completely. I was always there, especially in the beginning when I didn't have the staff I needed to manage the place. I was not available for home. My mind, will, and emotions unplugged from my family unit. Always working, ignored family responsibilities, and in a year and a half, I found myself separated. My second wife had left me. It was, it rocked me for sure. It was tough. 
but it definitely yanked a chain. I did shut the bar down, and I tried to do better. Tried and tried and tried to do better. So what I did was get back to what I knew was safe, working back in those hospitals. Again, I remembered working in the mental health hospital as being very rewarding. And I remember my family looking at me differently. Most were very, very proud um, that I had stepped away, but also understood the struggle. Effects of the, of the bar business and band friends. I had some band friends that played in our house and played at the bar a few times for me. Not that those guys were bad. These were good people in this band. And it was a lot of fun at the time. But it did just come full circle and things fell apart. I did lack family investment. Again, emphasizing the effects of my family. That's why I call this Let's Talk Recovery and family. It's a holistic scenario. Everyone is struggling. Why I focus on addiction and overall family recovery when affected by addiction is because everyone's hurting. Everyone's hurting. People are stressed. People are exhausted, including the addicted person. I can remember thinking, my mama didn't raise me this way. So I knew, like most other addicts and alcoholics know, there's something better. It's just this stronghold. Then there was Restoration Day, Recovery Day. My wife came home after seven months, July 7th of 2002. And that was my first clean, sober day. It was a good day. I remember the kids playing and making noise again. I missed that sound. But I was glad we were coming back together. Her only thing was that I quit drinking so much, stay sober, and go back to church. Which was a pretty small order. Remember, I grew up in a faith-based family, not a stranger to church. So that was easy. I thought, that's all? I'm in, for sure. So I remember being back at work at these hospitals, working in the mental health floor, working in the chemical dependency floor. Tend to go back and forth, depending on where we were short-staffed. And I remember walking by the group room where my first mentor, David, was giving a lecture or doing a class. I forget exactly. And he's got this very loud, boisterous, baritone voice. And for some reason, it rang louder that day. I don't know why. I had made rounds up and down that hallway a million times. But something stopped me dead in my tracks in front of that group room door. And I waited for him to finish group. And I don't know if I just snatched him up, but I needed him in his office. I wanted to talk to him in his office. And I got him in there and we sat you know, across from each other at his desk. And I said, I want to do that. 
how do I get to do that? So he coached me up a little bit. We did some investigating on which schools carried the substance abuse counseling curriculum. And it wasn't very long before I was in school. I was sitting in a classroom full of quite a few other ambitious people who wanted to make their mark as a counselor. It was a crazy class, enjoyed every minute of it. Some things I did afterwards, got through school, had some trouble starting my internship, but I eventually got a job at a safe P, what they call a safe P, substance abuse felony program. It looks like a prison, tall wires, razor wire, tall fences, but it's designed to be six month up to one year incarceration drug and alcohol treatment. Not my favorite model, but I wouldn't trade the experience for anything. It was unbelievable and I enjoyed every minute of it. I've also worked in 28 day residential treatment, probably my favorite model. Why? Because I'm close to the clients, they live there, I have access to them all day while I'm working and their families come visit. That's when I can connect with the families. When they come and visit, I can set appointments, make sure that we do get something nailed down for them to come in and be able to do family sessions. Absolutely love that model. I've also done outpatient treatment. I like outpatient treatment too. It's good. Um, had great experiences doing that. And I've also done medication-assisted treatment, all of which are necessary, all of which play a part in recovery. Everybody's recovery is going to be different. The way people approach it, the way people heal from it, all those kinds of things are different for everybody. There is no cookie-cutter program. That's why I wish some people would be able to get past what happens in a medication-assisted treatment. It's very necessary. It's what I did for six years. Also, back in 2008, 2009, my wife and I launched the first Celebrate Recovery for this town. We did Celebrate Recovery meetings every week. We helped train several other churches to create a Celebrate Recovery team for their church family. And we did this all the way up until about six years ago. It was 2014. Um, and that's when we moved to Oregon. I left, we left the ministry um, with a couple of other leaders. So those are some of my experiences. Again, I know that's faith-based 12-step, but I'm not gonna push religion on anybody. I do want to point out some of those views anyway. I hope to be able to touch on as many points of view as possible. I hope you will be touched, inspired, as well as educated. I want this to be a podcast not only for those in recovery, but also for those who tend to get left out, the family members of those in recovery. Again, family members, closest friends, they're so vital. 
for what it is that happens in the recovery process. It is an amazing, amazing thing when that happens for a family. I've seen loss. I've seen families hurt. Working with opiate addicts, I've seen overdoses. And what that does to families, especially if it ends in death, it's a big blow to the family when one's addiction doesn't start until they're 30, maybe 40. I know that sounds like a late bloomer, but one thing I learned while working in MAT is that not every heroin addict, right? Not every pill popper, if you will, started off that stereotypical street corner heroin addict. In a lot of cases, it wasn't until a surgery, a car wreck, sports injury maybe. If it hadn't been for those things, some of those people may not have ever known addiction. Medication-assisted treatment of opiate addiction is very necessary. Very necessary. I have witnessed the devastation that happens to a family. It's not easy overcoming some of those things. Families hurt day in, day out. But somehow in treatment, they get left behind. And then let's assume that those are the ones that want to participate. They don't move at the same pace. The benefits of family, healthy family, let's make that a mark. The benefits of family healthy involvement, regardless of various ways the family unit changes, family is important and is still a beneficial factor of substance abuse treatment. Actually, research has shown that behavioral health treatment that includes family therapy does work better than those treatments without it. That's how pivotal it is. When an addict is working on themselves and gets out of treatment and goes home and the family, and I know that's difficult to say, but the family's disconnected. It already leaves a bad taste. It already leaves a bad taste. The National Council of Alcoholism and Drug Dependence calls addiction a family disease. Why do you think that is? Because the overall family, in some degree, is feeling the results of that addicted person. This is because addicts and addiction affects the entire family. It puts members under a heck of a lot of stress. I can't even believe, begin to tell you how many times I've heard my mama tell me how much she was praying. And my grandparents tell me about how much they were praying. And I'm glad. 
I'm glad. That was probably my only saving grace that pulled me out of the woods and put me back on track for a more positive life. Between school and my family and my friends who supported me, I feel like I was positioned to prosper. I was supposed to become a substance abuse counselor. That's how I feel in my heart. It also disrupts family routine. It can cause great turbulence and scary experience for the whole family. The family as a whole becomes very rocky and dysfunctional. Substance abuse in the home can even interrupt the child's normal development. That's tough to think about. But I've met mothers that are addicted. And I, you, I know in their heart of hearts, they don't want to be. Let me tell you something, family members. In the moment, alcoholics and addicts, when they tell you, I don't want to be this way. In the moment, they're telling the truth. They mean that. Now, does something come and disrupt that frame of thinking? Yeah, it does. Whether they get in the car and they drive a few blocks and they remember a street name, they remember a friend lives on it, you can connect the dots after that. But I promise you, in most cases, that addicted family member meant those words. Like again, like I said, my mama didn't raise me that way. And I feel like that's the case for most of us. Substance abuse in the home interrupts a child's normal development and can lead to a higher risk of physical, mental, and emotional health problems. So not only are we talking about addiction influencing or creating some turbulence for all the adult family members, now we're talking about the children in the family. This is why it is a family disease. The kids in a sober home versus the kids in an addicted home grow up differently. They don't have the same experiences. It's important as a parent to get healthy because you don't need them growing up with those physical, mental, and emotional health problems. Which, by the way, also puts them at a higher risk to become addicts themselves. That is the vicious cycle. That is what happens. The vicious cycle. They're going to grow up. And what's going to happen with them if they grow up with resentment? Right? You've ignored them their whole life because you're out in the garage getting high. They couldn't bring their friends over because they're embarrassed by drunk dad. That creates this depression. 
And if mom and dad aren't clear-headed, they're not even going to see it. They're not even going to see it. So we got to put this together. I've always taken, not necessarily had issue with, but in my 15, 16 year experience, I've seen family members just sort of drift along on the outside edges of treatment. Speaking of which, family members, if you have an addicted family member whom you're going to strongly suggest to or motivate to get into treatment, be prepared to help. Be prepared to take part. Because what happens is the addicted person, let's take 28-day residential treatment, for example, is in there getting better, getting more healthy. The cobwebs are clearing. The brain's starting to function like it's supposed to. And they're hitting all these little milestones. Right? 26-day, 27-day, 28-day comes. And they're a little bit anxious but excited to be getting out and get to the family and show them Look how good I look. Look how good I feel. I want to talk about the positive changes that have happened for me for the last 28 days. But when they get home, that doesn't happen in a lot of cases. I don't know. I guess they come home expecting a big sloppy kiss, a Hallmark card, and some big balloons. I don't know. But what they get is a cold shoulder. What they get is that goofy little side eye, like, mm-hmm, keep your hands off my jewelry. Where's my purse? You know, those kinds of things that some family members think first. It's crazy. So in 28 days, this person has grown. And in 28 days... The family has laid stagnant. And they're still just as mad as they were 29 days prior. Because they don't get to or refuse to participate as much as they can. I understand some people go to treatment miles and miles and miles away from their home. But now with COVID, there's more computer stuff going on. You can get involved. You can get plugged in. It takes the whole family. I've talked to friends about how the mentality of my parents and generations before and not long after was it takes a village. It takes a village. And I remember living in that sort of atmosphere. I remember my neighbors would have chewed me out if I was messing with something. And then they would let my parents know. I had aunts and uncles been the first one, if they needed to be, to get on my butt. It doesn't happen that way anymore. And I don't know where we lost that. We need to get back to that. 
our kids of today are just as important as kids of 30, 40, 50 years ago. But everybody's too intimidated by their rights, I guess. I don't want to turn this into a political thing. But I'm scared for the kids. I'm scared for kids. In the last 10 years, I've worked with a whole lot of addicted parents. Something's got to be done. Something's got to be done. Anyway, a couple of things before I let you go. Just some insight on some of the things that we'll cover um, in each session. Well, not in each session, but in sessions to come. Every once in a while, you'll hear me discussing definitions, terms, uh, and we'll talk about self-diagnosis. That's the crazy thing about addiction. Um, in some sessions, we'll just generally talk about the effects of alcohol and other drugs. There'll be some education on that. And I'll be sure to spin it, too, so that it's not something just for alcoholics and addicts. Again, it's called Let's Talk Recovery and Family. I want family members to also get something out of this so that they can, too, talk with their addicted or in recovery family members. And we'll look at tra triggers, cravings, uh, ways to avoid relapse, planning for sobriety, right? And we will eventually talk about spirituality. It will come around a time or two. And so many other things to come. So many other things to come, right? Stress and emotional well-being. Uh, that's not just an addict thing, right? That's not just a parent thing. That's an overall family thing. Everybody can be stressed and need some guidance. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Stressed and need some guidance. That comes with everything. And it's not just, some of the things we'll talk about are not just specific to addiction. You hopefully will be able to apply them to different sorts of aspects of, of life. And we'll talk about some of the things that have the biggest impacts, like negative emotions, anger and communication. Those kinds of things are pivotal when it comes to trying to be as healthy as you can get. Anyway, thank you again for listening to this session. Um, I will see you again soon. Let's talk recovery and family. Appreciate it. Thanks.